Welcome to the Possibility Podcast. I'm Mel Schwartz, your host and thought provocateur. I've been practicing psychotherapy for well over 20 years. During that time, I've been so fortunate to witness countless breakthroughs while working with people, whether one-on-one, as a speaker, in professional trainings, or in workshops. The insights that I've garnered have inspired me to write over 100 articles and several books, including the companion title to this podcast, The Possibility Principle, which you can find wherever books are sold. On this and every episode, I'll be introducing new ways of thinking, relating, and communicating to help you truly thrive in your life, to reach the possibilities that you may long for. Think of this as a new game plan for living. Thanks for enjoying my emerging community of possibility seekers, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Today, it's a great, sincerely great pleasure to be spending some time with an old friend of mine, Hans Wilhelm. And before I move into explaining who he is and sharing his biography with you and introducing you to him and him to you, I'd like to tell you how I came to meet him, which he may not recall. I used to have a monthly article, a column in our local paper, the Westport News. And I called that column a shift of mind, which eventually became the title of my blog. And I'd write that column to share my work and my thoughts with the community. Frankly and honestly, it really helped me build a practice in my new location of Westport, Connecticut. I had a thought one day as I was preparing my next column. I was feeling an absence or a lack of developing new friendships, particularly with men. And so I thought, I'm going to write a different piece today, and it's not going to be what I would normally write about. And I wrote an article called Wisdom, A Lost Art. And I was speaking about the philosophy and the culture of wisdom and how longer, regrettably, there's no longer much of a value in our culture. And folks, it worked. I got two email comments on the article from two different men, both of whom I developed close relationships with, friendships, acquaintances, which evolved over time. That's how I met Hans. I don't know if he recalls this at all, but Hans made a couple of comments. And one was sincerely, authentically, constructively critical. And I can remember my response to him, which was, I appreciate the point. Hans was looking for me to go deeper in that article. And I said, yes, I'd like to. But there was a word limit and it wasn't the audience. And I said, why don't we get together for lunch or a cup of coffee and discuss this further? And it worked so beautifully because That was precisely my intention. I put my intention out into the universe, and the universe responded. And perhaps that's a theme that Hans and I can talk about, but let me tell you a little bit about my friend Hans before he joins in, and we go for it. Hans Wilhelm is the author and illustrator of over 200 books, 200 for all ages, well-known. I might add, as a children's author. And some of these books he has co-written with Byron Katie. These books have sold over 40 million copies and translated into 30 languages. Hans considers himself a mystic, and he's recently created over 100 short YouTube videos in which he visually explains, when I say visually, it is a great vision. He visually explains the spiritual laws of the universe. In these videos, you can watch him drawing the dynamics of these laws. When I say drawing, I mean that literally. And see how all the dots connect. This unique visual presentation has made his videos so successful, they've been watched by over 14 million viewers. You can access them for free at lifeexplained.com. With that. Welcome aboard, Hans. 
Well, Mel, that was an introduction. Thank you so much. And thank you for asking me to be on your wonderful show. I mean, we've stayed in contact. You have been flourishing in your career. I've done my way. And uh, so it's nice to reconnect again this way after all these years. And I do remember that first time we met. And it was, uh, yes, and uh, I didn't know I was sort of manipulated in this whole thing, but <laughs> it's okay with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, let's, th let's think that when we set our Tensions that positive energy can coalesce, as, yes. a, as opposed to as opposed to negative <laughs> energy. I um, know. You know we, the message that we get from the uh, work, the book, and the movie, The Secret. I don't know how you feel about it. I find it personally too reductive. I'm curious as to your feelings about The Secret. I I found it overly simplified and. Frankly, I didn't find it spiritual in the way that I would engage it. But I'm curious, how did you feel about that messaging, Hans? Well, it was very alluring when it came out. But of course, it's a principle which he took from Napoleon Hill, who wrote sort of 50 years ago the book, Think Rich and Grow Rich. Uh, it's the same system. But Napoleon Hill had one more component which he didn't put in. This is a work thing. Not only do you want to wish it to, uh, to become a great engineer or whatever, you also have to study it and you have to become it. And she basically said what also what Esther Hicks and says, you just sit there and allow it to happen. You visualize the idea, you want to be the great architect, and then you one day are the great architect. And it doesn't work that way. And I personally also have a problem with it because most of these new age gurus who promise you all wishes fulfilled is usually concerned about financial situation, about wealth and things like this. But I do not believe that is the reason why we are here. We are not here to get, we are here to become. And if our focus is totally on the getting and getting rich and having a new car and a new big house and whatever it is, I think we are missing the point of our existence here. And therefore, I am very questionable. I made a movie, a video called Why the Secret Didn't Work. And I explain it also very carefully in it because many of these things, even though we sent them out intensely wishing for them and so on, they do not come true. Most of the people I know didn't come true. And it's not only because there was a lack of visualization and lack of determination. No, it was also, it was not supposed for their soul to have or to be. For instance, if I suddenly want to decide I want to move to California, have a big villa and be rich and so on, and that is my motive, and I work very hard, and if I work very hard on it, I can have that villa and this richness in California. But my soul path was originally planned to stay in New York to meet my life spouse, maybe, and have a different world as a teacher somewhere in Long Island or whatever it is. That is what I originally signed up. But at any given moment, we have the free will to change our originally plan. And when we go too much into the materialistic side, like begetting more and etc., which is mostly from our ego, our ego wants that stuff. Once we follow too much our ego, we are deviating from our true path. And our true path is here to become, to learn, and to grow. That's my the way I see it. So you raise a number of very interesting points. So I'm thinking we may have listeners who would say, okay, but there are people who work their goals tirelessly, and if their goal is to achieve great wealth and fortune, they may very well succeed in achieving that. Your point overarching that is that may miss the mark or it does miss the mark of our greater purpose. So I'm assuming your position is achieving great wealth in and of itself is neither good nor bad. It's something that happens or doesn't happen, that we shouldn't set our goal on something that specific, but look at the larger engagement of our life. Why are we here? What is our meaning? And what is our purpose? And when we do that, that can help us facilitate whatever goals we do set up for ourselves. Yes, you're absolutely right. The moment we have got wealth, fame, and power as our goal, there's definitely a lack in us which we try to fill out with these substitutes. And that is definitely what I would say a deviation from our original path. 
But if we become a very determined, a, a great inventor or industrialist and so on, because we want to make this world a better place and we want to really help and serve and so on, and wealth comes, by the way, as a side product, and so may fame and everything else, that's fine. That's okay. That's part of a natural path. But if fame, wealth, and power is our main goal, we have a major ego problem. And we have to look in what is it that is lacking in us that we need it to that extent. We all need to a certain degree of finance, money and so on to survive. We all need to shelter clothing and food and little, little other little gifts to make this life pleasant. But like water, if it's too much, we drown. And if it's too little, we, we thirst and die of thirst. So it has to be the right amount. Therefore, wealth and money, let it not be our main goal in life. And if it is, then let us look at it. What does do I really want to re substitute here? What is really lacking in me? Excellent point. I find that when I am working with parents or high school students or college students, the overemphasis of parenting these days in certain communities and more affluent communities is this overarching drive for academic achievement and excellence so that their kids can get into the best schools and have successful lives. And part of what I teach is that raising what I call resilient children. Because life is challenging. Resilience is the ability to hit the bump, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and learn and grow. And that emotional intelligence and emotional intimacy are the foundations of our well-being. And academic achievement should be seen as the icing on the cake. But when we focus just, and I'm uh, comparing this and contrasting it to the pursuit of wealth. So in this, because they are aligned, the belief is academic success and achievement will lead to wealth. But academic achievement by itself is barren. What we can do is look at, at Ivy League students committing suicide. Mm -hmm. The foundation is the integrity of my whole being. And yeah. you know, some aspects of that that I focus on are emotional intelligence and emotional intimacy. But your point here is, so to the listener who says, well, I've never known what my meaning or purpose is. It's not the way I thought or spoke. We didn't discuss that when I was a child. I'm lost. I don't know what that would be. What would your suggestion to that listener be, Hans? What is your most immediate problem right today in front of you? That is your purpose. Whatever is standing coming to you today, it may be an old situation which you haven't solved. Whatever it is today which upsets you, what does puts you, gets you out of balance, whatever it is, that is your purpose. The moment we want to think or imagine a big purpose, something grand to do my life, give my life meaning, it usually comes from our ego. Our ego wants to be somebody special and wants to have a special service and whatever it is. But that is uh, very often not our purpose. Our true purpose is that's why we are day after day after day, we are giving challenges for us to grow and to become uh, really the, uh, onto the highest vibration again. I made a video, of course, I come from the Christian mystical path and make a video on this amazing earth school where I show very briefly that um, We come here as a spiritual being for a very short time of an average of 25,000 days. So it's just nothing. And in this period, we are given, uh, we are facing our, what we call our soul burden or karma from previous lifetimes that are now coming back to us as difficulties in our situation. We knew about this prior our incarnation. We agreed to this. We knew uh, more or less how our life would be every time we incarnate here. It is uh, the, the, uh, as a riverbed. It's shown to us, but how we respond to every situation, that's where our free will comes in. So we are given this, uh, we agreed to these situations, these difficulties, these challenges, which will make us more stronger, more purer, onto a higher vibration. So when we are here, This whole life comes into daily little parts. And every day we have got in our waking hours moments from moment to moment where we can actually feel in ourselves. You spoke about the emotional intelligence where we can feel where there's something here. There's a phone call which upset me. That is the aunt which comes and pestering me. I have an argument with my wife, etc., etc. There's a horrible situation on the television screen which upsets me. And all these things, which is, are nothing but mirrors of myself, 
are things that are in me. They resonate in me, the law of projection. So whenever I see something in the outside world, somebody does something horrible to me, it says something horrible to me, and it does upset me, then I have to look at myself, what is it in me that is of same vibration? And I cannot change the outside world much, but I can always change myself. And so from day to day, the purpose of my life is from morning to evening, to find out what is the thing which brings me out of balance, what is it, and look at it and recognize myself in this. And it's not the outside world. I'm never a victim. Anything happens here, not by accident. Everything is happening for me and not to me. So I understand this difference, and that's how I, I would describe is it a purpose of virtually everyone. Now, we can have an additional purpose, like I want to become, uh, I will become a great teacher or whatever, I will become a great uh, doctor or whatever it is. That's already fine. But if somebody says, I do not know my purpose, then he also wouldn't have these kind of dreams. But the purpose are always right in front of my nose. Deal with that problem right in front of my nose, and you are fulfilling your purpose 100%. So I'm going to play the role of devil's advocate Please on speak. behalf of, of the listeners. <laughs> not, that, not that I am being the devil's advocate, but I'm anticipating this. Many listeners are now thinking, yes, but what? And mm -hmm. so I'd like to address the unspoken voice so you can address it. When I'm working with couples, I in recent years have found myself saying, listen, your spouse's um, habit their issue, their challenge. It's very personal to you because it impacts you. But you must choose not to personalize it, meaning don't make it about you, is who they are. And when we do that, it lessens reactivity. We have more tolerance and acceptance. But what if that spouse or friend or relative or colleague is truly abusive, verbally, emotionally, and physically. And to that skeptical listener, now they say, well, Mel, well, Hans, this is about me. I'm being abused. What should I do? How would you answer that? The whole universe works on the law of attraction. I attracted that person into my life because I am oozing out the same vibration. And a person who is abused, like an spouse abuse, is always a person, at least in most cases, who runs a very negative self-esteem program in their head. I'm no good. I don't deserve this. I'm no good. I'm no good. These are vibrations which the person is sending out continuously. And it will be connecting with a person, another soul, who comes into my life, who actually expresses what I'm suppressing. A person with similar vibration, and that is a bully. A bully also has a very low self-esteem, as we know. They're both having low self-esteem. That's why he's a bully. The other one is what we call a victim. So that person hits me, is abusive, and hurts me for the sole reason for me to wake up from my self-talk. I have created it because I am condemning myself. I am abusing myself. I'm continuously abusing myself. And this abuse, self-abuse, has now the outside world is now reflecting back to me by the spouse or a person who physically or verbally abuses me. The moment I change my program in me, and just where you come, the emotional intelligence comes in, and I really get a more self-esteem about myself, the person's action will change instantly, and he or she may actually vanish from my life because they are no longer needed. As I said earlier, everything, nothing happens to me but for me. That person is an angel in disguise who shows only like a mirror to myself, Hans, you are running this awful program in yourself. You are a worthy being. Get hold of yourself. Understand of who you truly are. And the moment I wake up to my true essence and who I truly am, the other person will vanish. That would be my answer. So, and I may I just read yeah, one other. Yes, please, it's a one, wonderful thing. If you're anybody who wants to go further deeper, there's a great book by Colin Chipping called Radical Forgiveness. It's a book where he goes in great detail about this dynamic. Continue. Okay. I'm sorry. So, two thoughts there. One, what you're referring to as law of attraction or the distorted synergy between a bully and a person prone to being abused brings me to quantum physics and the notion of complementarity. Complementarity is, simply put, 
we wouldn't have a concept of good if there wasn't a concept of bad. We wouldn't have a word night if there weren't day. The complementarities to create wholeness were, of course, going to have these opposing forces. So I, I agree with what you're saying to large degree, which is somebody can say, I'm always being bullied. Well, of course, they are inviting in the energy of the bully. There is a distorted synergy there. Whereas I may say, boy, I, I don't recall ever being bullied. Is that just my good luck? Or is there something about my being that the bully picks up the signal that Mel is not somebody I can bully? And I think that's what you're really speaking to, isn't it, Hans? Yeah, that is. A, although I make like, I may not totally agree with the idea of the complementary uh, night and day thing because they are both the same. The bully and the abuse have got the bully is a person who has got a very so, low self esteem. That's why of he course. is bullying. Yeah. So the, it, they are they are equal. It's not one is the other uh, positive uh, positive or negative. They are both basically equal. They're only expressing their their program differently, but they are basically on the same vibration on the same frequency. So we can, again, look at that through quantum physics, which is known as entanglement. Mm -hmm. All right. So entanglement, for any of the listeners who are not familiar with my exploration of this, is that when two particles existed um, in an entangled state as one with an affinity to each other, and then they're removed by a great distance, no matter how great the distance, they're still operating as one. They have an impact on each other. And so that impact, that affinity with each other is a mutual expression. And I think that's what you're speaking about, that the energy of one and the energy of the other are, have become inseparable in a way. They co-join, don't they? Unless one of them starts changing and gets a self-esteem and, and, and respects themselves and loves yes. themselves. Then the moment the entanglement would be over. And by the way, the old adage of you can't change another person, well, it's true to a limited way. Because if you're in close relationship with the other, when you change yourself, that changes them. Yes. Because that's what I mean by inseparability, which is if I change, this is going to have an impact on that yeah. other person. They may leave my life, mm -hmm. I may leave their life, or we may both co-evolve in a yeah. healthier way, but it's, it's no longer relationship predicated on fear. Yeah. And that may be the common denominator in the person willing to be bullied and in the bully. They're mm -hmm. both orienting toward fear, aren't they? Yeah, you have so less as, yeah, you can call yeah. it fear. So Hans, for, for the listener, um, you spoke of incarnations. I have a similar point of view. I believe that our souls are eternal and that in fact we do incarnate. But for great numbers of listeners who don't believe in incarnation, reincarnation, or haven't explored it, can they still open to these principles and messages that you're sharing without having to believe in reincarnation? Most certainly. Most certainly. I mean, there's no need to understand reincarnation to be a good and healthy person. That's only something which you understand when you want you really study this a little bit more. But to be a healthy and a good, positive person is, is we have got basic rules. The basic rule of life is the golden rule. Do unto others as you want them to do or do not do unto others what you don't want them to do. Well, if we would all live by this one simple golden rule, we don't have to believe in reincarnation. This world would have been a paradise. Quite simple, this rule alone would do it. We also have the Ten Commandments very clearly, don't cheat, don't lie, whatever it is. And we have got uh, so the Christian Sermon on the Mount, which goes a bit more in greater detail. We have very straightforward rules. None of them mention reincarnation. If we live by this one law only or by the others, etc., so straightforward, uncomplicated, we can live a very healthy and a very rewarding life. So reincarnation is not necessary to, under, to believe in. Or to My mother had a very simple adage, which I recall that she taught and shared with my brother and myself, which was, you don't need to sink to someone else's level. Just <laughs> always operate out of your own integrity. Yeah. Be the best you can, which then is akin to the golden rule in a way, right? 
If so, you have a high standard, if you have a low standard, if you come from a family of stealers, <laughs> of thieves, and so on, well, yes, <laughs> it, it yes. depends on the where you come from. But it I, is all I know very subjective. Mean. Yeah, so, I know what you mean. <laughs> so we living in this culture that we're in, particularly in the United States in these days and times, see this um, frightening move. Not amongst everyone, but against significant numbers of people toward, I'm going to use the word greed. And by greed, I don't simply mean financial. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that if someone said, asked me simply, what's the problem in the world today? Mm -hmm. I would say greed. And financial greed is just a part of that. Mm -hmm. Greed mm -hmm. is a focus only on me. It comes from the illusion of separation. Yeah. that I am separate and I can compete and overwhelm and achieve even at the cost of others. It's the absence of empathy and compassion and a connectedness to the planet, to animals, to others, to nature. There's this movement toward greed. And greed, of course, sets up the fear of the other, where we see through differences. They're different than me different color, different religion, different language, and it sets up this battle. What thoughts or advice can you give in terms of trying to transcend that fearful way of thinking? That's a tough one. Yeah, that's how, it, because we got continuously bombarded every day. If, if you put on the television, it's all about greed. You must have this one, it's it one, it's it one. It's getting, 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 not becoming again. Getting, getting, getting. So the whole Western society is set up to really consume, to consume, to become more and to impress us. I come back to wealth and fame and power. Uh, the whole society is set up. It's very tough to not fall into that groove and to understand that you have to make your own path and you don't have to buy into this. Um, I don't have a quick answer on that one. I don't. I wouldn't really know. It's, it's really, as you quite correctly say, it's, it's a form of separation. You forgot who you are and you're fulfilling a hole, a donut hole in yourself that ego wants to fill uh, the outside stuff because there's an emptiness in me. And this emptiness, which you call the separation, I would say I agree with that, is there. It's a person who has really lost connection with their own, own true self, and he tries to compensate with outer stuff. And to refer to that point, my current belief is the emptiness inside self is in part informed by one's disconnection from others. Because although we want to nurture and nourish self, I believe at the same time, we must accomplish that by connecting with others. When I connect with others, it nourishes self. I recall being in Manhattan in New York City. Oh, my oldest son was perhaps eight or nine years old. And we're walking in the streets, Greenwich Village, having a fine old day. And I'm at a stand where I'm ordering some slices of pizza out on the street. And my son, Jesse, says to me, can I have a couple of dollars, Dad? He says, sure. I hand it to him. And he starts to walk away. Of course, I'm keeping a vigilant eye on him. He's a little boy and we're in the city. And he walks about 20 steps down the street. And there's a homeless person, not soliciting money, but a homeless person sitting on the street. And Jesse wanted to go over and hand them some money. He had compassion mm -hmm. and caring for the plight mm -hmm. of that soul. Yeah. And I think that as a culture, we have been driven to such extreme individualism and yeah. such extreme competition. And we've lost the value of the collective whole. And frankly, I've seen this for hundreds of years since 17th century philosophers like Newton and Descartes took us into this worldview of separation rather than yeah. this worldview of connection. And quantum physics, again, now revisits that and says we are as one. The whole mm -hmm. universe is one. It's mm -hmm. a participatory universe mm -hmm. where my thoughts participate in the stream of everything. My actions do. And therefore, it is essential for us to overcome this isolated neediness and greed of spirit. And not to just focus on self. And as you were saying earlier, 
you know, base ambitions or crude ambitions or a focus on simply on self. And that the evolving of our being, I see not just as an individual, but my caring and compassion and connectedness for others. Yeah. You've used the word laws. I've heard you use it, mm-hmm. write it, and speak of it today about perhaps laws of the universe. So I'm, I'm going to be a bit of a gadfly and poke at you a bit here. Many years ago, there was an article in the science section of the Times talking about the laws of the universe. And I wrote a letter to the editor, which they were kind enough to publish. Mm. And in this letter, I wrote, there are no laws of the universe because a law is anthropomorphic. It's human-made, man-made. Humans make laws. And so to impose our beliefs, our science, and how we see things and say those are the laws of the universe as opposed to those are laws that we've created so we can order how we see things operating. But one more thought there before you comment on this, Hans. My current understanding of reality is what I would call an evolving participatory worldview, which means it isn't so much that it exists as we are co-creating it every infinite moment. It is a participatory co-creation so that the law of gravity became upended when Einstein was able to prove the theory of relativity, that what we call laws are our current understanding, but that we should allow for a future new perspective, which would then create a differentiation of what we call laws. So I'd love your thoughts on that. Uh, I think laws is a word which we use because we all understand more or less what it means. But you could use, of course, the word dynamics. For instance, the law of attraction, you can call it a law or you call it a dynamic. It just exists. The law of attraction does exist. Like attracts like. And whether we call it a law, a dynamic or a function, or maybe there's another word, that's fine. So there are certain, what I would say, laws which exist uh, as dynamics uh, and exists, the law of projection that whatever I see in the outside world is in me and things like this, I would call law because we have agreed to this kind of structure. But I agree this can change. And it does change because we are here at the moment still operating in a three-dimensional reality. The absolute reality is at least seven-dimensional. And this is not for us to comprehend. That means the higher we go, we will explore different forms of dynamics. We can, again, can be laws and whatever. And yes, even with our growth here as a human race, we can explore more and more and find more dynamics as we go on, as we evolve. So it is an evolving thing, but I, I would say the higher, uh, it is still a form of dynamic. Basically, is nothing else, as Einstein says, energy and vibration. Everything is energy and vibration. You are energy and vibration. I'm energy and vibration. The thing, the microphone, the telescope, uh, the uh, television set, oh, is everything vibrations, nothing else. And we are one certain vibration. We are a bundle of vibration. You are a bundle of vibration. And we interact through our vibrations without each other in this dimension as well as under dimension. But we have sort of now agreed to this. This is the planet Earth. This is matter. This is a tree and well, etc. We community together have agreed on this one. And the truth, it's all vibration and it is all consciousness. I think that's what we, what, what Einstein did not mention, but it is all consciousness. It's not that we have consciousness or an animal or a person has consciousness. Everything is consciousness. And, and with this understanding, it's just consciousness and experiencing itself. But at the moment, we are here on a very, very, very low level. And we came here because we used, misused our self-will, our ego. Our ego became so strong that we worked against the highest vibration, which is love. And we worked against the love vibration. We made all our decisions self. You mentioned greed and so on. This is where our ego come in and brought us further further away from the highest vibration. And now our job is basically to return back to the highest vibration, come back to love. And that is what I said earlier. This is our purpose every day to return back to love because love is our default setting. And the resistance toward that message and goal 
is in our training and in our education and the messages that we receive in our culture. Yes. Why do I say that? People are taught to act strong. Emphasis on the word act. I will tell them acting strong is weak because you're acting. Why is it that people, perhaps men more than women, but women as well, are taught to hide their vulnerability? You see, that doesn't bring us into the energy of love or love in self. It, it operates from fear. So it's important to penetrate these cultural messages around self-esteem, which are false messages. You see, the way as a culture we induce self-esteem, I, I see it as a misnomer. For me, self-esteem is how do I value myself? Mm-hmm. But you ask people, what would give you or your children self-esteem? And they speak of achievement, mm-hmm. athleticism, popularity. I call that other esteem. Mm-hmm. So people learn to betray their authentic self to derive approval or to avoid disapproval. That's an Mm -hmm. abandonment of self. And as you speak of love energy, it's a betrayal that takes us away from harmony and love and builds what you're speaking of as ego. And for the listener, I'd just like to clarify something, which is I think people have a misunderstanding of the, firstly, ego is just a word. I don't believe it's a thing. All words just represent our concepts, folks. So it's important for us not to conclude the word as an actual thing. But the way we're using ego Mm -hmm. is people will say, and at the risk of getting political here, but I will, people will say Donald Trump had a large ego. I said, no, no, no. Donald Trump had the most fragile ego imaginable. A healthy ego, an intact ego, has no need for anger, for bragging. A billion likes on the website, yeah. For grandiosity. Arrogance is a sign of a fragile ego. So Mm -hmm. as a culture, it is so important for us to begin to teach that embracing vulnerabilities being open to sharing your insecurities and self-doubts and fears and not worrying what others think about you. Where do you it's, see see that in our culture promoted? I agree with you totally. Where, where do you see it? I, I don't. I, I think it needs to be, this level of emotional awareness intelligence should be taught in school to young children because arguably their parents suffer from the way the culture suffers. Mm -hmm. I think it needs to come from a new educational dynamic right at the start, which is along with English and history and math and science, we need to be teaching emotional intelligence to turn the corner, to move toward the ideals that you are proposing and prospering. Agreed, that's these ideals. How do we get there in larger numbers? I think we need to begin to teach it. Mm, Yeah. Well, but if the kid comes home and sees parents very much in their greed mode or whatever growth is, selfish growth, then all the teaching at school doesn't help much. It can open a little bit, but it takes very little. Eventually, the kids basically copy their parents if it comes. uh, Well, imagine imagine this. Imagine a. A dad, I'm going to be stereotypical here, gender, saying to his son, don't cry, you got to be a man. You know, don't be weak. And, and that son eventually is able to say to his dad, well, I learned something different in school. I learned that I shouldn't hide my feelings. I should be true to myself and not worry about what other people think. Then we create a dissonance. We, we start to break through the old patterns and habits. If I were a younger man with a longer runway in front of me, I think I would be putting a lot of my energy into creating curriculum for schools, for our precious young people to teach emotional intelligence, communication skills that allow us to communicate emotional intimacies with each other, because when we hide from one another and act out aggressively in response, we thwart our own growth 
in personal evolution and exacerbates the cultural dilemma that we have. There are ways through this, but I think they require radical intervention. You know, the word radical used politically is always a pejorative and a negative, but radical comes from the word radix, which means root, which to me means a radical goes to the root of the problem. When I was a young man, I was an anti-war activist, and people could call me a radical, and I'd smile and say, well, thank you. I want to go to the heart of the matter. We suffer individually and as a collective because the values that are being taught are misguided and misthought, and parents of these children don't know differently or better. How can we make greater change sooner? And faster. And when I give these talks, um, I teach a course called Raising Resilient Children. Sometimes parents will say, why aren't they teaching this in school? And that, that's where I think we need to go with it. Yeah, that's where we sort of to get back to track, back, back on track to, uh, and to a society where we truly care for each other and not just only for our own self-will. That we need leaders who can do that because it's always a leader in, in the end who just sort of where it's trickles down and people do follow that. But if we, if we have a corrupt leader, the country gets corrupt. If we have got an honest leader, the country gets corrupt. There's an old saying in German says, "Be the hazard as cashier, as a master, so are the servants." It's exactly the thing. The quality are the same with the company. If the leadership is honest and straightforward on top, uh, then the whole company is is well run. But if the leadership is corrupt, the whole company eventually will collapse. So we do need that starting on the top, actually, to find some leaders who really, really have that integrity. It's just very tough here in America because to become a leader politically, you need money, lots of money, a lot of backing and so on. So you sell your soul already in the first moment. And, and, and moreover, currently, there's the abject, heinous loss of truth as yes. a value. Right. How do we continue to exist? as a culture, if truth is no longer a value. Mm -hmm. You know, truth is a core construct. It's the basis of relationships, commerce, international relations. We all know people deviate and don't always tell the truth, but the premise is truth. Mm -hmm. Not too long ago, when a politician got caught in a lie, it was a consequence. Governor mm -hmm. Sanford, I think it was North Carolina, He was lying. He was off in South America with his girlfriend. He had to resign. Mm -hmm. Right <laughs> now, there is no consequence for lies mm -hmm. in our political system. So I've been working on an article, which I don't think I've ever published, but it's this. We can't allow this. And so people will say, well, what can you do? Well, if I'm a witness in a courtroom, I have to put my hand on the Bible and swear to tell the truth. And if I don't tell the truth, that's a crime. Mm -hmm. I think that every elected official needs to do the same. They need to swear to tell the truth. We need to hold our politicians accountable. And if they knowingly lie, there has to be a significant consequence. Because the lies now are so confounding and blurring of reality that how do we have How do we value a politician or an elected official if they lie? We shrug our shoulders and we say, well, everyone lies. What are we teaching our children? Mm -hmm. I don't know how that's coming back. We are, we are, it's set up on purpose, this financial uh, election situation here. We've had to send hundreds of billions of dollars for elections, which other countries don't have. It makes it much more easier for a halfway decent uh, or honest person to become elected in European countries or Canada than here in America, because you immediately have to sell yourself to the to the money and to the people who are backing you, to the lobbyists. Which and, I would agree is another enormous problem, but that's been a problem forever in American politics. That's gone, gone worse. It's right. Gone worse. Most, yes, it has especially since the Supreme Court mm. ruling uh, right. Citizens United. But this piece about no consequences for lying, fake realities, this is something rather altogether new. Mm -hmm. And so I, I find that altogether, altogether frightful. In closing today, Hans, um, we haven't talked about any of your 
fabulous work as a children's author and illustrator. And I'm sure many of the listeners have read your books to their children. They grew up on them. <laughs> That's right. And so it, I don't want to deprive them of saying, oh, that's who I'm listening to, right? Um, can you speak a little bit about the key principles and themes in your books, the messages that you have written to provide children with? Each story is different, but basically to make the child more comfortable, to give them more security, support. Basically, that's the idea. And that sort of comes from the fairy tales, which are also there, which originally were only for the adult people. But now we have got to sort of uh, evolve to the point that children can understand them. It's basically to make them feel more secure because there is so much happening in a child's life that is so negative and so destructive. So they need a bit of uh, comfort, security, safety. And I think a good child, a good book can do that if for a moment can put the world into order and uh, affirm them that this or that way is the right and the better way. I don't necessarily like to believe in morals in books, but let the story unfold as it wishes and you take from the story what you want to take from it. I remember very interesting things when, when I give uh, lectures in classes and kids tell me, the teacher asks them, what did you get from that story? And the kids are all told different stories, different answers. And I think that's exactly what I have in mind, that every child sees themselves differently in these stories. As I said earlier, the world around us is nothing but a mirror of ourselves. So that, so are the stories. But the stories, the way I wrote and illustrate are the way that they can give some comfort to the child. That was my idea, to make this life more agreeable to children who, in so many instances, have so many challenges in life. That's beautiful and simple. And I like the fact that it's not selling anything. Could the same principle apply for adults to find a place in our relationship with our own self, perhaps, to derive the ability to comfort ourselves? Uh, definitely. This is in us. And uh, coming back to my, my, my mystical uh, experience, the kingdom is in us. God of the kingdom is another very clear message Christ gave and so on. God is not up there in heaven. It's as if it's in us. The whole kingdom is us. And that's where the comfort is. And that's where we can relax to. And that's where we come back to ourselves in a meditation, in a prayer. The source of everything, what we need for our physical body and for our soul, comes from within us. And that is the uh, source of energy for us to focus on and to be there. And I've made various videos on that one, uh, how we can use that energy and calm ourselves by and get into the inner stillness. Everything is coming from this absolute pure stillness. Everything, the whole most highest vibration, even if it's love, it's also stillness. And we can reach that stillness, that absolute quietness, the tranquility in ourselves. And once we are in that period for a while, then everything in the outside world is half as important, half as important, because nothing is stronger than the stillness of God in us. Nothing. And my thought there, just to add to that in conclusion, is that to reach that stillness and quiet, and for those listeners who are not religious and are not spiritual and choose not to be, to still provide them with access to reach that stillness within them requires learning the tools to quiet the thoughts mm -hmm. that distract us and thoughts set up fear and anxiety and distress and remove us from self. Mm -hmm. And so even if you're not spiritual and not religious, you can still access that stillness mm -hmm. by quieting the fragmented and frightful thoughts that remove you from yourself. Well, I'd like to thank you very much for joining me today. I've thank had you, Matt. Great fun speaking with you. And Hans, if anybody wants to know any further about your work or how to well, the best day, the best thing, easiest to find me, just to punch in Hans Wilhelm, the name at the YouTube channel, and the, the, my YouTube channel will come up. Just under YouTube and then under search Hans Wilhelm, and it comes up. Or you go to Life Explained. 
Com on the website. They're both the same videos and they are free. They are without advertising, without any promotion, without any don't asking for donations. That's a sort of, they're, they're just a form of service and they are very short. So everybody has 10 or five minutes, whatever, most uh, much less than 10 minutes and uh, they're easy to understand. And if there's any question, they can always contact me via my website. Thank you so much, Mel. I appreciate so much having been on your show and you're doing a great job, great work. And uh, let's both help us to make this life, uh, this world a little better, a little bit more sunshine. We should do this again and explore different different areas of inquiry, Hans. Would love to. You Thank you so well much, Mel. Be safe. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Possibility Podcast with me, Mel Schwartz. To learn more about this topic and related subjects, please be sure to check out The Possibility Principle, my book at thepossibilityprinciple.com. I always welcome and look forward to your feedback. Please leave a comment at the show notes for this episode at melschwartz.com slash podcast, or simply send me an email at mel at melschwartz.com. You can also use that email address if you'd like to be a caller on a future show and have a topic you'd like me to discuss. If you never want to miss an episode, find The Possibility Principle in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and be sure to hit that subscribe button. You'll get new episodes as soon as they are released. And if you know anyone who might benefit from The Possibility Podcast, please tell them about the show. Thank you for listening, and until next time, have a great day, and keep summoning up those new possibilities. 